Okay, John Conlon, thanks for coming on. Um, last time you were on would have been October 2020, I think. You just released the running book. Yeah. Um, is running still part of your life? Back. It is. I was out for a run yesterday, actually. Um, it's been a busy time uh, and running is kind of my safe place. You know, I kind of make the time to do it. How, I, 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 now, I only got out yesterday was my first time, but um, still clocking up some good miles and uh, kind of fell back in love with it again, actually. Um, had, got, had gotten a bit tired of it for a while and I was walking a lot and then um, got back into it. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been good. As a friend of mine, Kevin said, uh, Jerry Kieran, you just tell him that run or walking was just a form of slow running. Still yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, for those unaware, John Collin, you're a best-selling author, documentary maker, columnist, farmer, runner, and now a boatman. You just released a book called The Stream of Everything. I have it here. Very enjoyable. The first question, John, why wasn't it called The River Book? Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, well, it was, and we decided to change the title. That's all. Um, no, no particular reason. Uh, it was just uh, I like I had read a line of a Robert Frost poem uh, where he he talked about the stream of everything, and I thought that's really beautiful. And the publisher liked the liked that, and uh, so we went with it. But um, yeah, it's uh, there is a chapter in there called the River Book. So <laughs> I was I was making it up, but uh, yeah, it's good to change it up every so often, you know. Uh, no, it, it's fitting. Um, I suppose it's unfair to say it's a book about you rowing down a river because there's much more to it. How would you, how would you describe it? Well, I suppose uh, it's a book about letting go of the past through immersing yourself in an untouched environment. I suppose that's kind of um, what it is. We, I had been to preface it. I had been in the southern states of the U.S. at the start of 2020, documenting farm worker rights. And um, I had come back to Ireland and the lockdown had started shortly after. And I realized I wasn't going to be able to finish that project. And I had made a promise to myself 10 years before, uh, after a near drowning in Sydney Harbour in a kayak, that one day I'd make a voyage down the Camlin River, my, the local river and the main river in Longford. And um, so we said, I, I had the idea, mentioned it to a few people there, like, I think that's a great idea. And uh, my friend, Peter Gagan, who's a journalist based in London, happened to be home and I suggested to him and he said, let's do it. And uh, it turned out to be probably one of the greatest trips of my whole life. And I never even left my county. So it was amazing, uh, full of full of wonder and wildlife and uh, and healing as well. Can the same be said for your two previous books, the like return to farming and then get involved in running as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um I think I, I think of these books as a memoir trilogy, um, and I know in the Irish Times the the headline was "Accidental uh, Trilogy on Longford," and uh, I was referencing um, Brian Friel, who said he wrote an accidental quartet on love, and uh, it was it it took three books to unpack everything that had happened in the ten years before that, and uh, as far as I can see, there the memoirs are done now. I'm finished writing about my life and uh, I, I am writing about other, other, other subjects now, but it needed, it took three books to unpack, I suppose, um, uh, a marriage that didn't happen, uh, two major bouts of depression and uh, coming back to the land, finding running. And uh, it took all those, it took all those books to tell those stories. And, uh, you know, I think of them all as, um, 
a really important part of of uh, my journey you know and uh, i suppose i'm privileged that 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 people around the world have come on that journey with me uh, and uh, nobody asked for this trilogy of memoirs but uh, they have they have touched people's lives and uh, uh, you know that's a that's a wonderful thing to have happened and uh, i couldn't i couldn't uh, have asked for much better brilliant um to use a line from the running book or kind of use the same line you're running for are you rowing for something rather than rowing away from something yeah i was yeah 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 i think um you know the last thing i had to unpack was um the nature of love in my life and how uh one relationship had ended in canada and i was still kind of carrying around the hurt of it so i was rowing at the start maybe i was rowing fr away from it but in the end i was rowing to it and realized that um that seven years was a long time to be thinking about the same stuff and that I had this image of letting all those hurts uh, flow down the Camlin River, down into the Shannon and out into the Atlantic Ocean and away from me. And uh, so catharsis, I suppose. But it was, uh, yeah, it was a powerful journey, really. And um, it was uh, it was a really healing one, you know. And, and I have I have let that stuff go. And uh, I didn't think it would be possible, but but it did happen. Have you come across Damien Brown, who's currently rowing across the Atlantic? I have. I'm watching his updates. It's, he's an amazing man. I don't know how he's getting the internet access to... That's what I wonder as well. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, he looks like a mountain man now. The beard has gone full, uh, yeah. full, full, uh, full Monty. But, uh, yeah, I've been watching him. And, you know, he's on, a, he's on an amazing mind journey as well. Not That's just a physical journey, but it's a mind journey. That's the thing. So I came across him as I was reading this book and I've been listening to the podcast every day. For those who don't know, he's doing this voyage unassisted across the Atlantic from New York to Galway and he uploads these podcasts every day. And it's just him alone with his thoughts. And um, yeah, yeah they're, they're amazing. And I, I've, yeah, I've been watching him on Instagram and, you know, profound is is an understatement for some of the things he's realized, you know, because um, obviously there's I was watching one where he um, where there'd been a bad storm and he was in, he was in the he was inside the canoe all day and uh, he was just saying, you know, it was intense. And um, I had a little glimmer of what that could have been like at the end of the, the river book or of the stream of everything when we were rowing in the wind. And uh, yeah, it made me realize how, how intense nature can be, you know. Is, is rowing down the Camelon like a really uncommon thing? It is actually, uh, Liam. Yeah. So we figured we were probably to do the full length of it. We might have been the first people in a hundred years. Um, like I, I don't know anyone who's done it. There is a section at the end called the Camlin Loop, uh, which links to the Shannon and Clondra, and people do that all the time. But uh, we have never met anyone. My uncle did part of it a couple of years ago, but um, no one we know has um, has come forward. So we were kind of explorers in a in a new land, and hopefully the book will inspire people to uh, to take a, to take a canoe or a kayak and go down the river. You know, I find when I'm reading your books, John, that I I slow down and I become a bit more reflective. Is that intentional or is that just your natural way of writing? Um, I think that's I think that's me. I think that's who I've become. This slower, more reflective person. Um, I think that um, particularly with the stream of everything it was a slow book i think that um it was a book that made me want to reflect on everything that had happened and also we were rowing at two miles an hour so everything is slow you know and so there had to be a slower 
pace. But you're right, the other books have a slower pace too and uh, they're reflective. Maybe that's my style. Uh, I think they were memoirs, so they were entirely personal. And so I wanted, I suppose I had to slow down to examine them. Yeah, that makes examine sense. Myself. Then going along the river, like what's striking is that you know so much about the locality um, and you're probably an exception that, do you, do you feel like people are losing that in Ireland? Like in rural Ireland, we don't know our local yeah, history. You know, you'd be surprised, Liam, people, you know, the Gene Shanicus is what they call it, the, the knowing of places and uh, of townlands and stuff. And I'm always surprised because I meet someone and they'll, they'll know an area where we were intimately. I was, there were sections of the river I didn't know, you know, I had the map with me and uh, there was areas obviously I knew very intimately from childhood. I think that uh, the knowledge of the local world is a very special one because it can really it can really reflect so much and tell you so much about you, where you're from. And I think that uh, I think that knowing a little bit about your locality can give you a sense of connection. And maybe that's what's missing in the modern world. And I was someone who lived in cities for a very long time and I had no sense of connection with the city. Um, and uh, I think that um, in the countryside, it's all about connection. Yeah. Staying on rural Ireland, um, the last time you were on, it was the first day, I remember, of the second lockdown in that October, that the really nice. hard one. Yeah, I, remember, yeah. I, I remember we were talking about how this might, in the long run, be good for rural Ireland, that people might return back. It feels like that happened, but then there's been a big uh, return now to cities and a lot of that working from home has been turned on its head once again. Do you feel like it's going to be lost again? God, that's a million dollar question. I hope that what we gained and I've, I've done an essay about this on the BBC around the time we talked as well I think some people I think the people who have moved I, I know several people who've moved back from urban centres and I think that the spell of cities is being broken a little bit I the problem I suppose is um, if you're if you don't have a job already it's very hard to get set up in rural Ireland again you know have a career here because there's not as many career options but then you see scenes of like all the people waiting to look at that inspect that property in Dublin uh, during the week and uh, you say to yourself well that's that's the rat race you know um, but I hope that with the um, advent of these digital hubs uh, rural broadband companies being more flexible that more people might be able to spend more time in rural Ireland, but maybe have to go to the office once or twice a week. Uh, that would be maybe be a happy medium. I know that I know that's the case for a lot of people, and they're quite um, happy to uh, they're quite happy to work in the uh, to work in the city if they know that the majority of their time is in rural Ireland. I suppose the way I think about this, I talk about it in the book, the Rural Manifesto, and uh, if we don't if we don't carry out the endeavours to protect rural communities now, uh, it won't be done in the future. So the onus is on all of us to make sure that the rural communities are thriving and, uh, and uh, enticing places to be and live in. And that's not just having a fully functioning GAA team. It's, it's so much more. It's having community links. It's having, you know, office space uh, for hot desks. It's having... Um, proper internet you know it's 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 having all these things so that we can create rural hubs so that people feel that everything is there and you know when you have people come back then they want a nice coffee shop or they want uh, a nice butchers and and so it entices more industry and, and I see that in my own home uh, there's there's a couple of coffee shops have opened up in in Longford and uh, people are people are using them and you know it's it's a positive it's a positive sign so uh, I hope it's my great hope Liam that uh, that 
that the rural regeneration continues to occur. Brilliant, hopefully. Throughout your book, John, you go off on these tangents, um, the kind of musings as such about kind of stories from her life that have been abroad, like touching on a lot of big topics, like you said, you're in the Southern states of America and immigration yeah. and the, the indifference that was shown towards them. Um, how do you kind of weave these into the book during talking about a river in Longford and then you kind of go off on this? Well, I suppose, um, Liam, the book is is kind of, uh, someone said it to me and it wasn't a bad uh, thought. They said, it's a bit like a podcast. Uh, you, in a conversation, we never talk linearly. We weave off into different areas. And I suppose, what, ha what is talked about in the book is the conversations that Peter and I were having. So right. um, there is a nautical water theme to the book, but because we were on the water, we were talking about those things. But, but Peter being such a, um, uh, a global man himself as an investigative journalist, uh, the talk did turn to American politics or it did turn to, um, uh, say, m migrant farm workers uh, or borderlands or... Um, or things like that of that nature and uh, you know each day it was two days so each day I wrote down on my phone what we talked about and that was kind of my narrative bible when I was writing up the book to to say well we, we talked about Mark Twain or we talked about St Brendan uh, and I'm going to go into this and examine it and uh, by and large most of the stuff we talked about is is uh, is what's in the book so it was a very natural I think, I think, you know, because we were going at two miles an hour, our minds were able to open up and uh, expand and float in the air. And, uh, and so we, we pulled in a vast uh, array of different topics. Yeah, the, the Mexican immigration thing, I'm going to out, outro with a song that reminded me of that. Um, I guess that eventually at the end. Um, what was that like to see? Um, and did that, did that shock you? It did, yeah, it did, Liam. Um, I was I was um, about a month on the road, and um, I saw a lot of poverty, uh, real poverty, a lot of struggle, uh, a lot of people who had been cast aside or abused by the system. And uh, you know, I remember meeting a man who was uh, in his seventies, who was still working and had uh, picking picking fruit and vegetables, and had no way to stop. Uh, he had no retirement, no savings, and so he had to keep working. And he was renting a room in a share house. And you know, I was really shocked that here was someone who'd worked their whole life; they should be taken care of. And uh, he had he had no option. I met another woman who had been blinded by exposure to pesticides. Um, I met, a, I heard stories of people who were um, illegal in in the U.S., people who were legal, people who who um, had not being paid wages um you know it has been a long time since i had come face to face with real poverty and real struggle and uh it it really stayed with me and really shook me and uh made me realize that there is a whole other america uh out there that um we don't see uh on television or film or in, in books as much uh, there is lots of programs on this these issues but um yeah it was very confronting and it took me a long time to process what i'd seen I'm just on tangent to myself. I hadn't just written down, but um, how do you see that culture war playing out in the States and how bad can it get or is it going to get? Which culture war exactly now? Like, obviously, we don't see that, that side of it and America's so vast and they're politicized on every single point. Yeah, well, I suppose um, Mexican, Latino people um, are, are a large part of the American population. Uh, the food system wouldn't work without Latino people. Lots of systems wouldn't work without um, Mexican and Central American labor. Um, and uh, 
I think, you know, we, we don't fully, here in Europe, we don't fully grasp, but we have seasonal workers maybe who come in uh, to pick to pick fruits and veg, um, but it's a, it's a huge industry over there. I think the thing that really struck me was access to um, the media, that there were stories that were happening. People were telling me stories that they've been waiting for years to tell a journalist or a writer. Uh, they had no way of getting those stories out. And that was probably the thing. Um, I suppose uh, the average American doesn't um, maybe uh, hear these stories because, you know, there isn't an interest in the paper or they've heard a migrant story before. So they say, well, isn't it all the same? So um, it, it's a tricky one to wonder uh, what, why it doesn't get more attention. And of course, Mexicans and Central Americans are the brunt of, of racism in America too. Uh, and uh, we can't forget that, um, you know, uh, there is there is a racist system in place there. And uh, it was a it was an eye opening experience and one I'll never forget. Um, another heavy topic you wrote in the Irish Independent about a couple of weeks ago, you said in your column, I'm heeding the cry of planet Earth and will wield my pen in the war on climate change. So you said you're going to you're finished with the memoirs and this is your this is now what you're yeah, about. I suppose um, I've been. I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, I was in Northern Spain recently. Uh, I did an essay on the BBC about this, um, looking for Atlantic salmon uh, in, a, in a region called Astorias. The salmon are nearly all gone due to overfishing and climate change and environmental problems. And uh, it really radicalized me. And I think in a way, rowing down the Camelon radicalized me because I saw that we still had um, this wonderful wilderness with animals and fish and, uh, and, and, and plants growing there. And uh, I realized that um, this is a very important topic and uh, that it would be good to write my next two books with an environmental edge. I suppose in a way, you know, there's always been an environmental side to my writing anyway. Uh, the cow book is, 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 is about animals. Um, and uh, of course, the, the stream of everything is about uh, animals, uh, the, the, the aquatic creatures we share our lives with. Um, but I think it's a really important issue. And, um, you know, I've been watching this summer as the rivers of Europe have been drying up. And uh, there was a report just two days ago about um, the Yangtze and, and other major rivers in China drying up and the knock-on effects for industry. And the climate crisis is happening as we speak. So this is... Uh, this is the time to speak up if we have a voice. And uh, I suppose um, I have a voice and I would like to, to make things uh, known, you know? Um, and it's, a, it's an important story and it's probably the story of our time. Yeah, for sure, it's probably the most important story. Uh, how do you weigh that up being a, as being a farmer and I suppose other farmers' attitudes towards it? Well, I think there's lots of people who, um, who know uh, what's happening i think we have to um we we, we have switched to organic on the farm uh we are trying to farm in unison with nature but most farmers are trying to farm in unison with nature and have a deep respect for nature uh, and the animals that 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 share the fields and the farms of the country uh, i think that um that everyone needs to be heard and listened to in this debate um and i think that the climate crisis is not going to go away. So we have to find out how we're going to uh, effectively navigate it and uh, do the best that we can and protect the earth and make sure there's no point. Um, 
there's no point uh, fighting now and then having nothing in 20 years, you know. Uh, we all have to work together. That's my view on it. And uh, it's a scary time for people because they're not sure what the future will hold and uh, they're trying to protect their interests and their livelihood. And we all want to protect our livelihoods. So I suppose um, hopefully we can um, come to a point where we're able to do all that. And, you know, the government are... are are trying to bring in measures and everyone everyone's trying to figure out the best possible approach that they can um just fine point going back to the book what would you hope people take away from the book the stream of everything uh, i suppose liam um i would hope that people will people will find a bit of solace and realize the power of love uh, ultimately it's a book about love and that um and 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 i suppose the tangential thing is with that is that we happen to live in a beautiful uh country and environment and that we have to protect it and you know i talked about the the word solastalgia in the book um which is uh, from a australian academic glenn albrecht uh, who talked about coming back to a place that's been radically changed an environment that's been radically changed and the sadness that's associated with that and what he meant was places that have been lost to say climate change or mining or deforestation um, but the Salastalgia hasn't happened in uh, places like the Camelon. They're still there. The fish are in the river. The herons are there. The kingfisher are there. So um, I want people to be able to read the book in 10 or 20 or 30 years time and say and hopefully say that the river is still uh, a pristine environment and that the water quality is good and uh, that we protected it and that Salastalgia hasn't happened here. Um, so. Uh, that would be my hope. And I suppose, yeah, as I said, the power of love. Uh, I realized when I was writing the book that it was a love letter to my wife and uh, how much I, I loved her. And uh, and um, love is a powerful thing. It can bring you from the other side of the world and, and um, as it did with me and my wife. And it can, it can help you uh, journey down a river and let go of the past. And uh, maybe we could all take a lesson on letting go um, because we can all crucify ourselves with uh, overthinking too much and uh, um, if you can let go a little bit and be be a parent to yourself and be gentle on yourself the world's an easier place that's a great point to finish on john um you can buy the stream of everything in any good bookshop online john you can be followed on instagram twitter irish independent call him that's me um, uh, thanks liam thanks for having me no worries i'm going to finish with the song called gustavo it's by mark hoselek and jimmy lavelle and it's just, it reminded me of that song when you were talking about um, the indifference, I suppose, that was shown towards the migrants in the southern parts of the States. Um, thanks, John. Thanks, Liam. Take care.
Chopping wood, falling asleep to the TV stone. Making ground be a taco. Is on the top of a five belly stone. Eating noodles from a styrofoam cup. Waiting for a ride who never shows up. Walking in the town, browsing the windows. Looking rifles, looking at ammo. The night when everything's closed. In my wet boots, in my winter. And I just laughed and I said no. 
Let's go.